The Accidental Entrepreneur is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, A. Weber, the world's leading small business email marketing and automation service provider. Since 1998, A. Weber has helped more than 1 million small businesses and entrepreneurs through its suite of web-based email marketing, automation tools, and education. A. Weber, the best option when it comes to marketing your business. The podcast is also brought to you by the Alternative Board. Since 1989, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has been one of the leading peer advisory and business coaching organizations for independent business owners and CEOs across the world. By facilitating peer advisory boards, private one-on-one coaching, and strategic planning services, TAB helps business owners improve their businesses in ways that change their lives. And be sure to check out our affiliate sponsor, One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the avid podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. It became a very successful business, and we grew it to about 70 or 80 employees. It was many, multiple millions of dollars. It was an incredible learning experience yeah, that I'm learn? so thankful yeah, for. Yeah, what did you learn working in the business there? Because that was really your first business entrepreneurial kind of opportunity, right? So what did you learn? Not for me. Um, I had always right. been involved in business. In high school, okay. I'd started a web hosting company. Okay. I was making web pages, you know. A long time ago. Yeah. And in college, I started a software company. So I've always been involved in business and entrepreneurship. But from that business, what I learned, I'll be honest, it brought me a lot closer to my parents. Oh, nice. I think that I wasn't super close to them. And then we worked together and I became very close to them after college. And it was just an incredible experience I wouldn't trade for the world. There was a sales guy who was kind of like a mentor to me (laughs) within that business and I learned so much from him about not being afraid to just get to the point with people and ask for their budgets. Yeah. And- okay. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We have a great guest today, as we always do. Looking forward to talking to Nick about his book and about all the things that you should be doing to network your business and grow your business and all about his background and story. So if you are listening on your favorite directory and you can leave us a review, please leave us a five-star review. I know you can't do it on all the directories, but most of them. And if you're watching us on YouTube, like us, subscribe, ring the bell, do something like that. And uh, let's get on with the show. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. 
Hey, my name is Nick Gray. I wrote a book called The Two Hour Cocktail Party. And I think parties are boring and busted and kind of awkward. So I'm going to try to help you make that better and try to convince you why you should host a party to build your network, boost your career, and maybe make some new friends. All right, Nick. So uh, thanks for joining me. I know we spoke. I was looking at our notes, I think like in February, because I'm busy and you're busy and everybody ends up. So thanks for coming on the show today and getting going. I'm excited to talk about your book and about everything that you do. But maybe you want to introduce yourself and, um, you know, let's talk about your background and where you come from and all that type of stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, I am, you know, I think I've always worked in business and startup and in that world. And this, I started and sold two companies. Um, this, the, my most recent company was called museum hack and we did renegade museum tours, non-traditional museum experiences. So like and, you're not talking like virtual, you're talking in person, right? Yes, I'm talking in person where there's a live tour guide and it's at the biggest museums in America. So we started at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Okay. And then and then we started to do to lots, lots of other cities. Um, and that was what I was involved in. I, I started as a hobby for fun for my friends. Just locally. And then... Yeah. And then it just grew into a big business. So when you say big business, you're obviously not flying around doing tours. So you were hiring people to do these tours in other cities. I know we're jumping around, but. Yeah, no, that's good. Yes. I had about 50 employees um, and we would sell it to big businesses. Really where the secret was, was selling that to big businesses as a team building experience. I see. And, and you, I don't know. This stuff pops into my head sometimes. So does the museum care that you have? So you're like a private tour guide, right? So the, the, the corporation's hiring you to take their people to the museum, right? It's like a field trip. Does the museum have any problem with you coming in and doing that stuff? And well, let me just say this at the beginning, it was like a cat and mouse game (laughs) and you know, we were a little sneaky at the beginning. And then as it grew to the next thing quick, Yes, yes, yes. It's like, okay, let's not ask, let's let's go, let's sneaky, right? And then as we grew into a business, the museum's like, look, come on, we got to work something out. And what we worked out was that we would pay all of the rack rate admissions for all of our guests. Yeah. And we would follow some of their rules. We would basically sign up for a lecturer's badge. So imagine that you're a college professor bringing students there to the museum. That's kind of how we would do it. I see. So they had those arranged. So it's making them money and it's getting people to the museum. So they, they shouldn't have any problem with it, right? As long as yeah, of course. Insurance, of course, like of course. They they were happy. Yeah, yeah. So what, what does, what, what do you do? Like, how do you start? I understand it's very hands-on. Forget about pandemic. I can't. Well, just tell me what happened during the pandemic. But oh how do you gosh. start doing that, right? Because you're hands-on, right? You like museums, but you're in New York. So how do we do this in San Francisco? Who do you got to find? How do you do it? You know what? That was, I'm so glad you asked because it was really the hardest part about growing the business. Yeah. The very first city that we grew to was Washington, D.C. Okay. And I was based in New York museum City at the Washington. time. Washington, yeah. Incredible, incredible museum. So you can see why from a business perspective, it made sense. There's so many tourists that are going there. Sure. However, it was hard because it was a long bus ride or a long train ride down there. 
And we struggled trying to hire people. There wasn't, see, we made money and we did well because New York City has a community of actors and people that work multiple jobs right. and side You hustles. could get these people and there were you, right. We could get these people and we could pay them a lot of money for them, right? Right. Maybe $50 an hour. Right. And that was good money and they wanted to work. In DC, there's not that same community of people right. that are jumping between jobs like in New York. So that was harder. Eventually we figured it out. And it is one of the reasons why we really transitioned from a fun tourist experience into more of a B2B uh, team building, team bonding style. Right, because then the other way you'd have to like get people to sign up for your tours. This one, you get the corp and they're like, here, here's our executive team. And they would send them with you, right? Right. Yeah. And our tours shift from weekends to more uh, weekdays. Yeah, right. Because that's the last thing you want to do is work every weekend and not have, yeah, understand. So that was like super, super helpful for us. Anyhow, it was a long journey. I started it just as a hobby. I never thought I'd make a business out of it, right? It's the yeah. dumbest How business idea ever. Just start this. I officially started it as a business in 2013, but I'd okay. been doing it for two years for fun, just as a hobby, as this weird thing. You had another job. You had a job. I had another job, <laughs> which was my last business that I helped grow. What was that? And then that business was later sold. So that was a business that completely different world, uh, aircraft um, electronics equipment. Oh, yeah. That's related and to museum tours. Sure. Yeah, you're right. Not at all related to museum tours, right? So how, how did, okay, so you got to give me your background then, how you got into aircraft electronics equipment. You know, that one was the, the age old story of a family business. Okay. My father started this company in the basement of our house wow. and he was trying to grow the business after I graduated from college. And I thought I'd help him out for a couple days and that turned into a week. And then I, I'm doing marketing. I helped them hire their first employee. And then I started to do hiring and marketing. And we grew that into a very large company. And what I thought would just be helping my parents out for a couple of weeks Came turned out to be a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, it sounds like a difficult business, right? So you have, how do you, what do you make in your basement that an aircraft company is going to buy? Yes. So at the beginning, it was like repackaging and certifying electronic equipment, whether it was from Taiwan or Korea like or things type like of stuff. Yes. Got it. Starting with the map that shows you for the passengers where the plane is flying across the world. Oh, like when on the little screen on the back of the uh, thing yes. says, oh, here you are over the ocean. And yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So it's that map that we were building for small jets. So for private jets, that was the map that we were making. Got it. And it was my father's idea to say, look, I think I can take the software from this company, a small computer, and instead of buying a big Rockwell Collins or Honeywell hardware for these small planes, I can build it and I can do this. And so that was the plan. He just wanted to sell one of those a month right. to support our family. Is that, and then is, it, is that his background, electronics and computers and science and all that stuff? Well, worse than that. He's a salesman <laughs> who thinks he's an engineer. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, you're right. But but you know what? I think that's probably better than being an engineer who thinks you're a salesman because I don't know if you're going to make it. I think you're exactly right. I think you're exactly right. Salesmen are. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but they you couldn't sell out of your basement to like Boeing or McDonnell Douglas. They need a 
a large manufacturer to meet demand, right? For I, So that wasn't, if I see it on a plane like United, it's not coming out of a company like, you're, like you used to have, right? No, this was focused on private jets, specifically oh. on private jets in the retrofit sales cycle. What's and that? so think about uh, um, a retrofit means if you have a private jet, a Learjet, a Cessna Citation jet, okay. you're going to keep that jet and that jet works for 20 or 30 years. Okay. But every five to eight years, you'll redo the interior to freshen it up. Okay. New seats, new buttons, new switches, sometimes new lights even. Okay. And that is when we would get involved. I see. So you're really the kind of the aftermarket because you have to keep up, keep your the aftermarket last 20 or 30 years. Right. So. Yes. Yes. Interesting. So that became a successful business, though. It became a very successful business and we grew it to about 70 or 80 employees. It was many multiple millions of dollars. It was an incredible learning experience. What did you learn? Yeah. What did you learn working in the business there? Because that was really your first business entrepreneurial kind of opportunity, right? So what did you learn? Not for me. Um, I had always right. been involved in business. In high school, okay. I'd started a web hosting company. Okay. I was making web pages, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. And in college, I started a software company. So I've always been involved in business and entrepreneurship. But from that business, what I learned, uh, I'll be honest, it brought me a lot closer to my parents. Oh, nice. I think that nice. I wasn't super close to them. And then we worked together and I became very close to them after college. Yeah. And it was... Just an incredible experience. I wouldn't trade for the world. There was a sales guy who was kind of like a mentor to me within (laughs) that business. And I learned so much from him about not being afraid to just get to the point with people and ask for their budgets and and to talk numbers and things like that. Have you ever been mentored by like a salesperson like that? Yeah, I used to be in sales with my dad was in the insurance business for a long time. So I used to work with all the salespeople and I was in sales for a while for myself. I had to pay my bills. I was an attorney. I didn't have any work. So I used to yeah. do whatever I had to do. But yeah, a lot of people are afraid to like ask for the sale. You know, they're afraid to. Right. And they just keep talking and they keep going on and they're bringing, just hoping that whatever happens, this person will just buy and they'll right. ask this. And then usually it doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. But yeah, I think the most important skill you can learn is sales. I, I just, you know, everything else you could hire somebody for, you know, you can't really report. How would somebody learn sales if they wanted to learn sales? If we're both saying and agreeing yeah. the most important thing is scales, how how would we tell them to learn that? Yeah, I, I think there's like two ways to do that. One is that you could you could you know sign up for a good organization like Sandler Sales or something like that to get the basics in. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it is like you said, one of the things my dad told me, I came out of law school, I had no sales skills. I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I had to get a job, right? Whatever. And I liked his business. So I want to learn about his business. He told me, and he hooked me up because he's been doing this since 1965, with a different successful salesperson every month I'd have a cup of coffee with them and ask them, why were you successful? What did you struggle with? You know, What made you nervous? How did you get started? And it got me over a lot of things, first of all. And it also taught me a lot of things. So I think what you just said about mentoring and stuff, which is why TAB is our sponsor also, an advisory board. Too. I'm a big advocate of that kind of stuff because – there's nothing that replaces learning from something you got to do yourself, right? But nothing that replaces mm-hmm. and gets you over all those fears and talking to somebody who you realize like, oh, it's not so scary. Oh, you did that. You know, oh, you failed too and you were peed in your pants just before you gave your first presentation. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it makes you feel better, right? So I think a lot of that was right. like 
you come out of law school thinking like, oh, I'm a lawyer and I'm, you know, I don't work. I'm going to work for somebody. I don't ask people for sales. It really kind of mm-hmm. put my feet on the ground. And I think that's the two ways. I don't know what your opinion is about it, but. What do you think about those um, Cutco knives people? <laughs> so it's pretty funny. I think because um, they do they deal with a lot of kids in college, right? And, and people like that because it's yeah. door, door type of stuff. Yeah. I think stuff like that, especially if you're young, is great sales experience because they're they have a program they teach you yeah. to do whatever whether it's knives or whatever you're doing they have a good product i mean the cutco knives we have a butcher block of it in our kitchen because my son's yeah. friend was was selling the knives and he needed to yep. make a certain amount of presentations and he said come by and you know we bought stuff and and yeah it, but yeah i think those are great learning experiences i don't know if you get rich doing it but they you know learning experience so what there's a guy that i know who's a real estate guy here i live in austin texas now i used to live in new york city i was there for i hear austin and nashville are two of the hottest cities in the country it's great i like it in austin i love it texas is right yes okay university of texas at austin huge place by the way university of texas at austin has this crazy thing where i can go and get one of these body scans to give my exact body fat thing and it's subsidized by the university so it's like cost so nothing it costs 70 dollars in new york it costs 250 dollars each time and here all their sports medicine people work with me and give me my right. analysis it's incredible yeah if there's a university in your town you got to try this thing. yeah definitely no i hear my daughter would love to go to ut there's a lot of people up here that go to ut down there it's nice. Yeah. It's a good school. I love it in Austin, but I lived in New York for 13 years. Okay. And I think New York is an incredible city. And the one thing I'd say, if anybody younger or new in their careers listen to this, I think everybody should live in New York City for a year during their 20s, if it's possible and open yeah, to you. I agree. Because, yeah, right, right, right. Because not having a car, walking, the diversity, the challenge, yeah. the stress. You grow up. shaped who I am. Yeah. No, even growing up in Jersey, I like the city was almost foreign to me. I would go in with your parents, you know, in your car and you would in those days, I'm a little bit older than you. So in those days, you would like drive through Times Square or Columbus Circle and somebody would be running down the street half naked with a with a ski cap on. You know? <laughs> like, oh, my God, I'm never coming to New York City, you know. And then I went to law school in the city. I got to the city. I don't know anything. And I learned the subways and, you know, you learn mm. how to get around and the buses and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's a it's a good worldly experience. Of course, then everything changed. Times Square is not like it used to be. Columbus yeah. Circle, you know, and all, all that kind of stuff. Everything goes in. In cycles, but yeah, New York is the is the greatest place. When I first met my wife, one thing, she's from Florida. She's like, "Oh, we're going to yeah. live in New York." I'm like, "No, I'm a New Jersey attorney. I don't live in. I live in New Jersey." Yeah, but aren't we going to live in New York? I'm like, "No, we're not going to live in New York. You know, we'll go visit New York. We're not living there." So that's right, right. Much different experience. People. You know, I'm always blown away by how much I take for granted that I know how to use the subway and that I know how to get around the city so easily. People and somebody comes into the city yeah. who I've never talked to and they're so intimidated right. by the subway. It seems so confusing. And I forget that that's true. It can be really, really intimidating. Yeah, I'm sure you were confused by it when you first saw it too. And I was too. And now I'm like, yes. oh, what are you kidding me? The, you know, the red lines go here and the, the green lines go there and you go, it's not that difficult. And they're like, you know, they just see a lot of colored lines and they freak out, you know? Yes. And the news doesn't yeah. help either. So. Thankfully, Google Maps now does make it a lot easier, but it is. It's hard. Even on foot, it makes it a lot easier to get around the city. Yeah, no question about it. All right, so let's go back. So what made you guys exit the business? So now you're growing the business with your family. You had all these employees. Mm -hmm. What what happened? 
So I would say that I didn't want to continue running the business. It, it was my father's goal and plan for me to take over the business. Yeah. And it wasn't something that I was interested in okay. um, for a variety of reasons. And I started to work on this other business. And so I left the company in about 2013 and okay. I started my museum hack. And then the business was sold about a year after that. Oh, so it was after you left. After I left the business, it was sold a year afterwards. And it was a crazy story of how it was acquired, by the way. A former C-level executive who who we had hired uh-huh. to come in to run and help run the business and then fired, left the business having seen all of our numbers, went to a private equity firm and said, hey, look, this is a pretty sweet deal. Like, I think I can do a better job than they are. And he worked to raise the money and the funds. And so completely like an unsolicited offer, it was wild. And then they made an offer your dad couldn't refuse. Something like that. I think my dad still wanted to keep the business. He still wanted to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. But at that point, how old was he? He, it's not an age thing. I think it was just the business had become very complicated. You know, 70 or 80 employees. It adds layers of complication. Yeah. Uh, Look, that's one of the biggest challenges of business. I mean, challenges, obviously, to get off the ground and be successful, right? But as you and you probably the museum thing, too, because it wasn't all in one location. As you add employees, you add complexity to HR and to management systems and to teams and to, you know, leadership and the whole the whole thing. If you're just you and two people and you're giving tours at a museum in New York City, you don't really have those issues. I don't. And. You know, the thing that's ironic is it's more fun at the beginning. Yeah, no, it's smaller. Yeah, but it's more fun. Definitely more fun. Yeah. Look, I had my and now I had five attorneys and partners, and we had employees and the whole thing. We had a lot of complicated systems, and I I watched my gross revenue go up, and I watched my Uh net income go down, and I wasn't fun anymore. I and unfortunately, I I walked away from it. Unfortunately, I lost some friends and. uh, But now I'm in a co-working space. My income's up. My day, I get to talk to guys like you. And it's more freedom and flexibility that we have. So much more. Not all entrepreneurs understand, and that's fine. They need to go through this journey. Yeah. But that you and I understand with a little more experience that sometimes those trade offs are worth it. Yep. To have less of a team and your margins are higher. But um, I'll tell you something interesting. When I was running my business, um, Museum Hack, I had so many employees. My margins, frankly, weren't that that incredible. But I was seen as this big, amazing business owner, right, huge like team, a lot, right? yeah. lot of press, all this stuff. And I didn't have a lot of freedom or flexibility. Now, I think I'm doing even cooler, bigger, better stuff um, as a business owner. Right. And yet, not as a business owner, but just the work is more impactful to me. Okay. But I'll be honest, I'm not in those same CEO circles there is a lot of judgment on how many employees do you have? What's your revenue? Yeah. And so it's, there is measure things that way, right? I mean, yes, yes, yes. yes. For, for good reason too. I noticed that I, by default, when I meet someone to understand their business, I will ask how many employees do you ever do that? I don't do as much, but I haven't had your experiences. I, you know, I'm, I meet with a lot of entrepreneurs that have small organizations. I mean, does it, I guess psychologically, if you tell me, yeah, we grew it to seven or eight employees. I was like, that's impressive, but you might've been losing money. I had no idea. I have no idea. I knew a guy yeah, who yeah. was in the, uh, what business did they do? They made like 
they were in like the cold cut sandwiches business. They made like gourmet sandwiches for universities up and down the East Coast. I think he was doing 80, 85 million dollars, but his net revenue is like five percent his gr- his margins. Because, yes, because the margins employees and you know, yeah. Yeah, and grocery is brutal. Grocery yeah. as well. Grocery is just absolutely brutal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So everything's misleading, you know, in terms of what it goes. Okay, so you went from there to Museum Hacks. You then yeah. said you sold that business or you – what happened sold that the in the pandemic, by the way? So I sold that in 2019 oh, in a really interesting way. It was a seller finance transaction, okay. which means that my – CEO and marketing director came to me saying, Hey, look, we, we want to buy the business. And you want it out. I had done everything I could to grow it. I tried my best and I just couldn't grow it anymore. It was done. And I, I, I tried hiring sales directors and managers and marketing campaigns. And for years I had tried to break this $3 million annual ceiling that uh-huh. I just wasn't able to pop through. Right. And they said, look, we think, we have an idea. We think we'd do better. You're not happy with this. Let us take and buy the business. And I had never thought that I would sell this right. business. Okay. Um, so we made a deal where they could put zero money down with very little risk to them. Right. Um, Which is a good deal for business space. You got the right guys, but they don't have any money. So you said, all right, well, I'll finance it and you pay me interest and in the money. But yes. it's risky. Yes, yes. Risky for you as the seller. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but but they were amazing business operators, and so to their credit, I had a lot of trust in them, and I'd worked right. with them for many years. Yeah. So I was willing to assume that risk. I sold the business to them. Things have worked out very well. They during COVID, the business basically went to zero. Yeah. All museums were closed overnight. Couldn't even do a virtually. And you couldn't even do it virtually. However. We had a blog post on the Museum Hack website that talked about virtual team building experiences. Okay. And they noticed that this blog was just blowing up all these new Google searches. And so they entirely um, pivoted the business to focus on these virtual team building experiences, completely worked up new sales offerings, everything, really blood, sweat, and a lot of tears that they did. Um, Was it just luck that that blog post was up there about virtual team building and then everybody and their grandmother was searching for how do I keep my team together and build them and the whole thing it just got luck it was just lucky it was certainly lucky that the bit that the blog post was ranking well and doing well and that we had had it we never thought about virtual stuff right but it was a lot of skill in both identifying that that was getting traffic leaning in kind of turning the business on a dime and so a massive amount of skill to completely build a new business around that. So do they still do virtual team building? Still exclusively focused on virtual team building. Margins are better than oh, they ever. Don't the do business any is bigger. Stuff anymore. To my knowledge, they're doing in person. They may be doing it at the museum, but that B2C side of the business that we had at one point, as I understand it, it's not there anymore. It's really, really focused on the B2B. Got it, got it. And do you, have they kept up with your payments? You've gotten all your money and pretty much? Yes, 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 yes. Everything's good. I've been made whole. Nice, nice, nice. All right, so this is great. I love to talk about all this stuff. Um, and I want to get into your book. Maybe we can take like a two or three minute break. I'm going to p- play the sponsors so they're happy. Sure. And then we'll come back yeah. and we'll, we'll talk. It'll be about two minutes. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to market and grow your business? Or perhaps you're just getting started and want to hit the ground running. 
AWeber is the best choice for online email marketing and automation of your business. From maintaining a subscriber list to drip campaigns and landing pages, AWeber gives you tools and integrations that make marketing easy and fun. As our partner and sponsor, we use all their tools to promote the podcast and market our law firm. AWeber, the best alternative for online marketing. For over 30 years, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has built a thriving community of forward-thinking CEOs and business owners who want to radically improve their companies. Through unique combinations of one-on-one business coaching, participation in monthly TAB board meetings with other non-competing owners, a suite of strategic tools, and customized strategic planning workshops, TAB membership can deliver greater strength to your business and a better work-life balance for you and your family. All packaged in a streamlined and affordable service that the people at TAB invite you to try risk-free. Maybe you're looking to get into podcasting or you just want to market your business. Maybe you want to do it for enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts, as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created especially for our listeners. Follow the link in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. We are back. Okay, Nick. So um, what were we talking about? Oh, you, you exited the business or you sold it to them. They survived the pandemic, which is a testament to them. I found that like resilience is the word of the century of this decade, right? Because yeah. a lot of people didn't. A lot of gyms, some pivoted right online to deal with all their, their people and some didn't yeah. and just died, you know? So yeah. They could have really just fallen apart and you, know, you wouldn't have gotten paid and that would have been it. The deal was set up in an interesting way where if they missed some of the payments that I would have regained the business. Okay. And, but the business was you know hard. All the museums were closed then. So, so I said, look, I want you guys to be successful and they made it successful and, um, and they did a great job with it and I'm excited and I'm happy for them. And it's a great example of where sometimes an entrepreneur goes as far as they can go and sometimes you need somebody else to come in well that isn't that the one of the milestones you know if you own a business and you're the entrepreneur you may not be the guy to be able to take it to the next level as a ceo a lot of ceos have been let go from their companies because of it and you got right your limitations right that doesn't mean you got to leave the company i'm not saying that all the time but yeah yeah so Okay, so what are you doing now? You're like Mr. Entrepreneur, author, running around, doing all kinds of stuff? or So, so yeah, so I sold my last company, um, and I went and I decided uh, to share a book with all the stuff that I learned about building my network and how to host events that are very well-run events, which is a wild thing. But I think post-COVID, everybody is really, really hungry for in-person events. Yeah, they're really getting, and there's also, getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Some of them you go and they're, eh. You know, you justify it by like, well, I met Nick. At least it wasn't a waste of my time and I'll keep in touch with him. But that's It would be great if you came back with a dozen cards and you could follow up with all kinds of people, right? 
Yeah. Um, and what are networking events like for you and kind of where you are? What are those like or like what's your experience been at them? Um, well, there's some that are like uh, like dinner meetings and there's different people from different industries. There's some that are like chambers mm. of commerce meetings and there's just local community. I have some that are on Zoom that are yep. industry specific. So I'm like the only attorney in the group. And uh-huh. then. Oh, 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 what are those called? Is there a name for that? Um, a generic name? No, there's a brand where you like can BNI? own. Yes. Yeah, they're not BNI, BNI. groups. But I, I, when I first got started okay. networking, I joined a BNI group. I didn't know that, which is a great way to get started. I didn't know anybody, and I got started. And I, but you know, after a while, the whole group kind of changes over. These are all homegrown type of groups. Yeah. But and then I'm on mailing list, right? Get invited to a you know local brewery or, or whatever, and you go and you just you know meet people and give out your card and tell your story. And usually, I find that networking is not about trying to tell them what you do and sell what you do. It's more about you and I connecting than having coffee privately later. Yeah. 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 It's that first initial meeting and you think this person might be interesting. I'd like to get to know. Right. It's taking it from the acquaintance to the friendship right. or the colleague. That's or the how you work together. Level. Yeah. You can't just do it without having that relationship. What's it like in Austin, the, the community there? Well, what I'm interested in and what I try to help people learn how to do is how to build their network of acquaintances. Because I think that anything goes from a, uh, let me think about this. It goes for, it starts all big relationships start at the acquaintance level. Yeah. No, that's my feeling. Right. And so I'm trying to help people make more acquaintances. And I've found this formula for hosting a little happy hour okay. that is a two-hour happy hour right. for 15 to 20 people. So think about all the acquaintances. You've met tons, probably literally hundreds of people in your career. And yet we end up spending time mostly with only our close friends. Right. I found that by hosting a happy hour, I could maintain those warm relationships and build my network of acquaintances. You know, science shows that we find out about the best new customers, clients, opportunities, and business deals through our network of acquaintances, what they call loose ties or weak connections. More so than close friends. More so than close friends. Our close <laughs> friends are oftentimes not the people that we learn about right. these new businesses. Because they don't look it's at you the, that way, I think, right? They don't look at you yeah. and it's this random LinkedIn connection who posts something. And right. Do you know what I mean? That's it's like true that's, for my business too, yeah. Yeah, that's where we find these people from. So. That's what I'm about now. Um, I wrote a book called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party Very good. that I'm on a mission to help 500 people learn how to host a gathering for their friends, colleagues. And by the way, you can use this to do a company happy hour, a client appreciation event. I'll include links in the show notes about that. You can use this for any... It doesn't have to be just a cocktail party. Right. By the way, I don't just, know how to make it. That was just co- your, your whatever. What's the word? Like your... I don't know. There's a word for that, right? Like that's just your vehicle, but it doesn't, it's just a, it's a metaphor kind of. It's just a metaphor. And we use that phrase cocktail party, not because yeah. it's about alcohol, but just because cocktail party is an easy thing to explain to someone. Oh, I'm hosting a cocktail party. Right. It's a lightweight social gathering. Right. And that's what it is. Yeah. Very good. So what, well, you got to tell me the metamorphosis of this whole thing. Like, cause, cause I know how I got started in networking I was in the insurance business doing agency stuff and I was selling and I was also doing support. And a buddy of mine said, Hey, we're having a networking meeting down the block. 
with this. It was a called Network Plus at the time. The guy passed away and the organization doesn't exist, but it probably morphed into something else. I said to him, mm. I only knew what prospecting was in those days when I just mm. came out of law school. Mm. I said, well, what's, what the hell is networking? And he's like, well, come to the meeting. And he took me under his wings. You talk about mentors. And he said, listen, uh-huh. come to my office tomorrow. I'll tell you, we'll talk about what, what we're doing tonight. In the meantime, get to know people, have a drink, enjoy yourself. And he really literally taught me how to, how to network and build, build relationships, you know? How cool is that? Yeah. How cool. It's nice to have somebody like that under your you wing. You need somebody to, you know, change your, what's the word, uh, perspective on things. Yeah. Um, I wrote this book and it came out of a Google doc that was just shared amongst my friends and kind of went viral amongst people using it to host events, not necessarily for networking at first. It was really at first just to make friends, to help people meet their neighbors and to just learn how to gather. Here's the thing. What I have found is that everyone wants to know someone who brings people together. And yet most people think that that, oh, they're not, oh, I'm not a host. Right. Oh, I'm not somebody who hosts parties. You know, that's, that's somebody else. And I found that anyone could learn how to host a well-run event. Yeah. And the easiest way to do it is with a cocktail party, not a dinner party. Absolutely not a dinner party. Yeah. Too much pressure, too much commitment, too stressful. That's why I tell people one-on-one chats for one-on-one meetings Uh and for blind dates, do not go to dinner or lunch. Oh my get God. Coffee. Get, uh, hey, get coffee. Oh my God. What a commitment for dinner. I somebody know. you don't know. Oh my God. You know how much that cost me when I was young? Dates, mm. taking people to dinner in New York. This is New York City. I'm, oh my God. I'd probably be a rich guy now if I didn't go on all those blind dates. Yes. Yes. Stupid. If we had Justin put that money into Amazon. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's true. All right. Good. So, so, but did you see like a void? Like you, you saw like this isn't happening? Like you think the way it should be happening? Yes, yes. I was tired of going to so many poorly run events. And which I was tired at this point. New York City. So I would go to these big networking events that were in huge, loud, crowded bars that were dark. I've done those too. Hard to meet people. And I would leave those events feeling sad and dejected and like it was my fault. Which it was. And like yeah. Yeah, I just felt like I was doing something wrong or I wasn't that type of person. I would swear off these events. I'd be like, oh, I'm just, I'm not good at this. And I said, look, instead of going to bad events, I'm going to learn how to host a good event. Instead of going to bad parties, I'm going to bring the good party to me. Yeah. And I started to experiment and I learned through hosting hundreds of events myself. I've probably hosted more than 600 events now. At, like a restaurant was a, or at your apartment or at your house or where are we always at my apartment, always at this, Bring them in. you know, what was at first a dingy apartment in New York because it was more generous yeah. and it was more vulnerable and I could turbocharge the relationships. Right. Yeah, no, that's good. And you're picking these people basically. I'm hand selecting them about half people I already knew okay, and half new people that I had only met briefly. Got it. So, and so that mix was very somehow, important. Right? You got it. So to yeah. host the cocktail party, you got to get out. Meet some people and then invite them to your house. You got to get out. You got to get out. You got to meet people. You yeah. can't just expect that you can sit home right. and fill You're up your prospecting list. for people to invite to your networking event. Constantly. And right. listeners of your show should be going through life kind of collecting people. Right. And what do I mean by that? I mean, anywhere you go, you need to be saying, hey, in a couple of weeks, my friends and I are hosting a little happy hour. Can I send you the information? You should be getting those that should info. should be your habit. Right. Well, yes, I think, yes, I think yes. keeping in touch is is important especially with your acquaintances right because something will come yeah. up 
and let's say your museum business, right? And and somebody yeah. at a corporation who met you six or eight months ago and you didn't keep in touch would be like, you know, I met this guy and yes. runs these things for a museum. And I can't for the life of me remember who it was. But if you had yes. stayed in touch, there's a book that yes. I love. It's called The Referral of a Lifetime. Have you heard of it? No. It's all about – it's like a parable, one of these stories like uh, Ken Blanchard type of books. Oh, my gosh. Let yeah. me write it down. Yeah, What's it referral called? Referral of a Lifetime. It's like 100 cool. pages. It's a story about a woman who goes into a coffee shop. She's dejected in sales. I, I don't have anybody to talk mm. to. I can't do business. And the guy behind the bar or the barista or whatever, the coffee guy goes, listen, I want you to meet somebody. And she goes through this journey meeting these different people and learns about how to keep in touch. When I first read the book, though, there was no internet or email. You had to like send postcards to people. But the theory is, you know, let's say 250 or 300 people that know who you are if you reached out to them. But yes. each of them know another 250 people. And if if you – I think you multiply 250 by 250, it's like 62,000 people. So you could reach all those acquaintances. And like you said, most of your business comes from the second and third level. It does not come from the people that know you because the people that call you, Nick, are like, hey, Nick – can you do me a favor? I, I know Mitch, I was talking to Mitch and he needs this and I know you do that. Maybe you can help him. Now you're already doing a favor for him. Mitch isn't going to be a big customer because you know what I mean? It's like the wrong thing, but it's all based on that concept. So yes. I tell people open a MailChimp account or use a Weber. You can do it right. And start adding people to your list and send them some information and keep them in touch and remind them of your events. And Hey, I was here and social media obviously makes it a lot easier. What a great book. I've yeah, never heard of great, this book great, and I love book. the concept. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a whole it's very good for salespeople keeping in touch, but the the idea is like you said is to keep these relationships so people think of you when yeah. something comes up and they had a warm experience with you, right? Because they went to this cocktail mm-hmm. party. I love the idea. And you know, you you leave feeling good. Hey, Nick mm-hmm. is a really cool guy. Like those are really great people that I met and do you want to be a part of that again. Like, you know, there's right. You know, there's nothing worse than leaving an event feeling like the hell was I there? You know, why did I do this? You know? Yeah. Or feeling like you didn't meet anybody or you had these very transactional. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I teach. That's what I help people to do. And I've helped, you know, hundreds of people learn how to host a good event because I find that the biggest benefits I completely changed my life. I built these multi-million dollar companies by hosting events, by building my network of acquaintances. Right. And most people, if you ask them, they say, oh, I love to host. I say, awesome. How many times a year do you host? Oh, well, you know, this, that, or the other. Or they're only hosting people for dinner that are their very close friends. Yeah, that's not They're really not hosting. actually like, building their that's network. That's a party. That's not right. That's, that's a dinner party. That's, yeah. that's not a... That's not building your network and relationships. And so what I challenge people, I say, hey, how could your life be different? You know, that thing they say that you become the sum of your five closest friends, the five people you spend the most time with, you become that person. Yeah. I think that that's really true. And I have gotten so much out of my life by surrounding myself with people that I can learn a lot from. Right. Well, I think like that's a choice, right? A lot of people have themselves surrounded with people and the people aren't lifting them up. Like, why are you doing that? Right. Get a new yeah. group, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People. And this is how you can do it, right? Yeah. This is how you can do it by hosting these events. And by the way, the the key number I found is 15 to 20 people hosting at a little happy hour. Okay. Less than 15 and there's not enough energy that's in the room. Right. 
more than 20 and it takes and too me, long to yeah. do a round of icebreakers hard to meet people so is that what the book includes icebreakers and mixers and ideas for the yes. party or yeah i got it okay interesting yes 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 exactly so so give us a few tidbits like what's what's an ice what's a good icebreaker exercise a good a good icebreaker in my opinion yeah is something like at the beginning when there's no rapport you want to do an icebreaker simply to get people to go around the room. You're not trying to come up with a crazy creative brain teaser of an icebreaker. So the one that I use at all my events is let's go around the room, say your name, say what you do for work and tell me something that you like to eat for breakfast. What's one of your go-tos that you like to eat for breakfast? Now I'll tell you why this one works because it's not about the answer. You know, a bad icebreaker is like, tell me a fun fact about yourself. And, like, and that you causes- You spend the whole time thinking about the fun fact, you don't even listen to anybody. Yeah, it causes <laughs> introverts and other people to lock up. Right. And it's just, it's not as good. And so what I want is for people just to talk. I want them just to get going and to say what they do for work to sort of signal around the room. Yeah. And so that's- that's a good one. Later on at the party, about an hour later, you want to do what I call a value additive icebreaker. Okay. And a value additive icebreaker is a question that the answer would add value to the room where everybody's answer makes the room feel smarter. So one example of that would be, um, tell me what's the best purchase, one of the best purchases you've made for $100 or less over the last year. Huh. Interesting. Another one could be, what's a great piece of media that you've read or watched? What's a documentary or a book or a podcast or a YouTube? What's a great piece of media that you've consumed that you'd recommend to the room? Yeah, those are great. And this makes the room feel smarter. They leave your party having met a bunch of new people because of all the icebreakers and gotten a ton of recommendations because of the answers to those icebreakers. Yeah. And people will tell you, and this is the craziest thing that new hosts tell me, right. they're like, oh my God, people think I'm a genius host just because I added a little bit of structure. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, people say that to me all the time. I'm not a gene, genius host on the podcast. I mean, you make the, you make the content. You're a good host, actually. No, you're I, a good host. I don't have to do anything. I just, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty funny, but you know, it's funny. I was in a, um, I forget what kind of a, there's, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, I don't know if it's only in New Jersey, but there's a Jewish business network um, organization. It's called JBN, and uh, there's different chapters. Whenever, obviously, I don't think everybody's Jewish in it, but you're, you know, that's how you meet Jewish business owners. So, just like I'm sure there's other religious organizations. So, I went to this group once, one of the local chapters. It doesn't even exist anymore. And in the meeting, that's what happened. Was what? What do you recommend? This and that. So, people recommended books and this, and I'm writing them down. I come back the next meeting, and I was like, I just want to thank Nick for recommending that book and. And Nick, and you like looked at me, go, well, what are you talking about? I go, well, at the last meeting, like everyone recommended all these things. Didn't you like, like nobody wrote them down. Nobody went and checked these things out. It was like, you know, when somebody recommends something, sometimes there's really good stuff out there. Yes. Like the book you just told me about, I yeah. immediately added it. It's a, yeah. great, it's a great, let's, that's how I found the go-giver. Cause somebody had mentioned it at a meeting and I looked mm. it up and then he was on my podcast, mm. Bob Berg, the go-giver. Mm. Um, but mm. yeah, you got to listen to people and there's gems out there. There's no question about it, but I love that. That's a good, that's a good icebreaker. So you must sit around thinking of all this stuff all the time. Basically I use the same icebreakers at all my events and I'm more interested in the people that are in the room and just growing. I hosted the coolest event Wednesday night. This guy who just took his company public oh, nice. came to town 
And um, he asked me to get a group together. And so I got to get a group together to meet this guy. And I got to be the guy shadowing him all night, nice. moving him around different groups. And that was so exciting for me. And oh my God, I feel like I'm still learning so much. <laughs> now, was that you met myself. him through all the other networking? Like, I met him through the stuff that I do through my network. And um, I also have something that's called my friend's newsletter, which okay. I think everybody should have a personal newsletter that you send maybe once a year. Interesting. That yeah. adds value yeah. to people. That's not just about business. Right. And he happened to read my newsletter for a long time since before he was rich and famous. Right. And so that was a way that we had stayed in touch over the years. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's a really good point because I think people are listening to you and I, and maybe I wasn't clear about it before about keeping in touch. And then they mm -hmm. think of you and me as salespeople or business owners or whatever. But if you work at a corporation, you should have a network also. So there's nothing wrong with having a personal newsletter, you know, you don't have to reveal all your personal stuff, but interesting things you find or experiences you have, or, you know, I just went flower picking with my wife to a place in South Jersey. It was like tulip season. And then there's, uh -huh. and it's a really cool place. Actually, you get to this huge field. I share this with all kinds of people and there must be, I don't know, 9 million tulips, every color you've ever seen in your life. And you pick them and you come home yeah. with all these, my mom came and the daughters came, my wife, and there's food trucks yeah. there in the fall. They have sunflowers uh -huh. all over this field with, and not just yellow sunflowers, colors you've never seen in your life. And, really? Yeah. And you, you, you get the big clippers and you, you know, you clip them and you put them in the, yeah. And it's fun. You gotta wear boots and you get all muddy and stuff, but you know, it's, it's a cool, cool. it's a cool experience. So I think people don't miss that. Like if you're, if you're in, if you have a job that you should still network, you should still keep in touch with people. People will need something to call you. Nick, Nick goes, wait, I know Mitch does this. Talk to Mitch. And it's just part of, uh, you know, having a rich life and, and helping people and building relationships. So here's my question. When I started um, the podcast, my first guest, if you go back all the way to the beginning, was a gentleman named Jack Killian. Jack's written a book called Network All the Time, and he's big on networking. When I met him, that's how I met him, through the first guy I told you about. I met him years yeah. ago. He unfortunately passed away last spring. Really nice guy, good mentor to me. Cool. Um, he was my first guest and he was my hundredth guest. So when he came on the podcast, I didn't even know what I was going to talk about. We spent two, three hours talking about his story. Big, big advocate for networking. So you moved to Austin. You didn't tell me why you moved to Austin, but you moved to Austin. Did you know anybody? I mean, can I go to a city and plop myself down and then start built? Like, how do I, how do I do? How do I start building a network in a city? I don't know nobody. I'm so, I'm so glad that you asked. Yes, I moved to Austin. I only knew a small, I probably knew two or three people, Okay, but I knew the formula. I knew what the playbook was to get here and start hosting events. And that's exactly what I did. I got here and I got settled and I got my apartment set up and I'd start to go out to events. And literally every time I went out, I just knew anyone remotely interested. I'd say, hey, I host these little happy hours. I'm meeting all these interesting yeah, people nobody in town. Said no, right? Everybody said yes. Because that's the secret that you know. Everyone right. wants to be invited to a party. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone so, wants to so be invited to a party. So how are you finding these party. events? Like through Meetup or something like that? Or yeah, yeah, I would look on Eventbrite. I would look on Meetup. I would right, look on Facebook groups. Yeah. I would ask around. I would go out to events, whether it's to the gym, to a yoga class, to community events to the park where even. people were you just have to be yeah you just have to be open to meeting new people i think and you can't just sit at home 
I think that's the big thing. You can't just sit at home and expect that new friends and relationships are going to come. Really? To they don't just television. ring the bell and they walk in and say, hey, Nick, I want to meet you. I heard you live here. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> they should, right? I think so. They absolutely should. So what made you yeah. tell me what made you move to Austin? I moved to Austin because after 13 years in New York, I was ready for a change. And when lockdowns happened, I knew I didn't want to get stuck in Manhattan. So I left early ah. and kind of became nomadic and spent time in Florida, in Georgia, in Colorado, and then in Texas. And spending time in Texas, I went to Dallas and Houston. And this is during the pandemic. time in Austin. This is during the pandemic. Yep. So you figure, and I fell in love with long enough, you won't get the virus. So just keep moving one city to another. So, something like that, <laughs> right? Yeah. And fell in love with Austin. Um, and, uh, and I fell in love with Austin yeah. and I fell in love with the people and the food and the nature. So, yeah. Right. But did you have, you didn't have a job, right? You were getting paid from the company you sold so that you had some income, right? Yes, 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 exactly. That's how you um, I've done very well, so I'm lucky to not have to worry about my financial situation too much. Nice. But also, I do, I do think about that. Yeah, yeah. Do you? It, but is this your job right now? I mean, you're an author, and you're, you're yes, full time. This is what I work on. I am laser focused on getting 500 people to read my book and host their first gathering. I'm so passionate about how much it's helped me. And I see how much it helps others when they actually do it. Yeah. It changes their life. And I have a whole case study after case study of people that read my book and it changes their life. Whether they get a new C-level job, they get a business partner, they get new clients, they find romantic relationships. Right. It's just building that network that I know. And you know the value of networking of as well. I don't have to tell Absolutely. you about it. Well, I always look at something. If if it were working 100%, meaning you're hosting events, you're meeting people, you're going, would that improve your situation, whatever it is you're doing? Of course. So then you know it's something you just got to do it the right way. But yeah, is, that, is yeah. there a pro, Is there a like a profit, a business plan in there? Or are you just helping the world and let the world come back to you and see what happens? I think that's, I think it's more of that last one. Right. I'm just trying to help people out. I don't have a business plan for this. This is truly a passion project. You're not project charging people to come to events or anything like that. Turn it I'm not charging you people don't have to come to, to events. Which is nice, anything. right? Yeah. That's a pay yeah. it forward type yes. of thing, right? And you, it always comes back to you somehow. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm focused on. Yeah, got it. So you'll, so you'll see what happens. Nick's on a journey. Yeah. See what happens with Nick. <laughs> What I'm saying is I'm going to talk to 500 people. I'm going to get them to host 500 parties. Okay. And at the end of that, I'll decide if there's a business there that I'm excited about. Interesting. So, it's a little, But it was a little bit of a human experiment, experiment is what you're doing. It's a big human experiment. <laughs> so how many – Here's the. so how long you've been – how long – when did you start this? I started – I launched my book around June 14th of last year. So how many – 500. What number are we at now? So far, I think we're around 240. Oh, that's I have a to lot. check. I keep the list. So you yeah. got 240 yeah. people to have cocktail parties. So there's been a lot more than 240, but I have personally talked to those 240. So you're only counting and the so ones what, you talk to. I'm only counting the ones who reach out to me when they're done hosting their party. I'm checking my list. Right now, I keep a live list with all their group photos on my website, and nice. I'm to 246. Nice, nice. Well, we're going to put your links in the show notes, right, so people can go to the website and see what's going on. And, and Yes, please. So, Okay, so yeah. you're, you're the perfect person for this. How do people connect with you? What's the best way to get into your sphere and learn from you, especially if they're not in your city, right? 
How can they do that? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks thanks so much for asking. Um, I wrote a book called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party yep. that I'm so passionate about you teaching a, people. You can buy it can you anywhere. One up? Do you have a book? Oh, yeah. Yes, please. I'll show you. YouTube, this is exact, so. There we go. This is exactly what the book looks like, it. The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. And I also recorded the audio book, so check that out. I had a okay. lot of fun with that. And you can use this book to host a client event, a happy hour, a networking event. You know, there is a friendship recession that is happening. <laughs> that's and a good you term. will help. <laughs> that's a good term, <laughs> yeah. right? And you will help. I'll include a link to a bunch of articles where people are talking about the friendship recession. And you can help your friends and neighbors by building a network. And the benefits will come back to you 10 times over by right. helping to build these connections. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. No, it's like magic, right? You just do it consistently, keep helping people, keep putting out content, yeah. keep hosting parties, and it'll happen. I love it. It's hundred percent true. Great. So you said the book is on Audible because I, I love to listen to books. Especially, are you the are you the reader? Yes, oh, I am perfect. the reader of the book. Yeah, it's on like Audible. It. It's on Amazon. It's okay. on everywhere. I will check that out. All right. So we'll put the links in the show notes. I appreciate you coming on, spending some time with me because it's uh, eleven thirty here. So I guess it's like nine thirty in Austin or eleven ten thirty. Uh, 1030 here. Oh, it's oh, the morning. It's Friday morning. There you go. And um, all right. So I'll play the credits and then hang out and we'll we'll close out the show. Okay. All right. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moscovich and Made to Order Music. For information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at the Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinacker and produced by Beinacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at BeinackerLaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.